Welcome to the Mold Matters Podcast. Whether you are looking for help recovering from mold illness or just want to learn more about creating a safe environment for your family, this podcast is the place for you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mold Matters Podcast. Um, coming here from Layton, Utah, alongside my co-host, Mike Adams. How Hi, are Jared. you, Mike? Good. How are you doing? Great. Good. Uh, it's good to be back. We're we're hitting the warmer weather out here in Utah. Yes, we are. And uh, typically in, in the mold world, that means at least many molds start to activate a little more and, and you start to see you know, increased humidity, more mold issues. HVAC systems kicking on. Yep. Spreading mold. Yeah. Yeah. So we actually ought to do a, a summer podcast now that I'm thinking of this right now. Yeah. Maybe, maybe some things to think about as the summer comes on. Um, but that's for another day. Today, we actually are really excited to um, present to you a guest of ours that we recently met uh, a couple of months ago. For many of you that are in the mold, uh, well, wellness, mold illness, and, and mold healing worlds, you'll, you'll definitely recognize the name Richie Shoemaker. We've talked about him before. He puts on an annual convention called SIRSX. Uh, it was out in Florida. We we loved it. We met lots of good people, attended lots of breakout sessions. And that is where we met our guest today, um, Cheryl Seco. And uh, welcome, Cheryl. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. It's nice to see you again. Yeah, nice to see you again. We were really impressed. We went to many breakout sessions and we were really impressed just in the 50 minutes that Cheryl presented at her knowledge of of you know, just building envelopes and, and mold and, and mold inspections in particular, she, she had some really neat insights on, um, on figuring out where the mold and water issues are coming from. And so we connected with her and, and we're excited to welcome you to our podcast and to learn from you. So welcome Cheryl. And if I may share, I'll read just a little bit of a bio about you to, to give our listeners an introduction to you, and then you please add anything you'd like to. But Cheryl is a licensed architect with over 30 years of knowledge, research, and professional experience offer, offering proven design, construction, and renovation solutions to solve building challenges economically. Her own family uh, experienced mold and toxin exposure. It took uh, their home and health years to recover from the effects, and it has motivated her to help others avoid getting up, um, uh, ending up in the same situation. Uh, her past responsibilities include five years at Midwest Regional Direct Director and Senior Technical Director of the Wood Industry in North America. She's a tenacious has tenacious research abilities, analytical thinking, and experience to the topic of environmental health, while sharing design and construction solutions that make a difference. Cheryl is a frequent speaker at architecture and engineering conferences around the U.S., participating on the board of director, directors for Association of Licensed Architects, Illinois, and the American Lumber Standards Committee. I'm actually really excited that you have this strong architectural background because that's quite unique, at least in, in my interactions with mold professionals, and I think that that's going to lend some unique insights from you. So currently, she's based in Wyoming. She holds a a bachelor's in architecture with high honors from the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, and a master's of architecture from University of Minnesota, Minneapolis. And in a world where professionals are defined by the hours of courses they have taken, Cheryl 
brings years of quality and experience to her work. Wow. That's awesome. That's quite the... <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, that's amazing. Thanks. Anything you'd add to that? Um, mostly, I, I just would add that the, the reason for the tenacity is that this is um, something that, so toxins in buildings did affect the health of my family. And, yeah. and I find that some of the best people, whether they're doctors or any kind of, um, even attorneys, um, if you're going to go in the legal space, if they have personally dealt with a problem, then there's definitely been more research behind them than someone who didn't have their own family to protect um, or their own, their own situation to protect. So that's definitely, that's definitely my story. I didn't just wake up one day and think, oh, well, I'm going to talk about mold right. <laughs> in buildings. It really started for me uh, in 2004 when one of my children got sick. So I I've raised four children and number three, the number three child got very sick, had full-on asthma inhalers at home and at school. And, and we had moved into a, an older house that was new to us. I had inspected it and I thought it was fine. Um, but I didn't connect that she was sick because of the house in any way, because she was sick everywhere she went. And she had these, you know, she was having these coughing fits and then she started having migraine headaches. Mm which weren't going away, which were really incapacitating to her. They're doing CAT scans. And so this got really scary fast. At the same time, I, for my uh, profession, for architects, they have to do continuing education hours every uh, year, usually about 12 hours. Every state's a little different, but about 12 hours a year. And I had ended up at a continuing education program on mold in commercial buildings. And those two things aligned. And, and when I was at this presentation, there was a conversation about how you could be sick anywhere you go. Not just, if you're being exposed where you sleep and where you spend a lot of time, you can be sick everywhere you go. Right. And that the symptoms weren't just like runny eyes and you're gonna sneeze, that they were, could be way more complex and way more difficult to connect to the building itself. And, and affect the overall immune system and um, all kinds of things, mood and uh, in this case, headaches, um, but asthma as well. And so, and then I, the other thing I learned at that, at that presentation was that you could have mold in your ductwork. And that was one thing I didn't test. I didn't review, I didn't, I didn't test anything. I didn't even review. So I went home that day and immediately removed the cover of the vent uh, and I have a program uh, that I sell an education program um, webinar. It's really one webinar on cleaning ducks mm -hmm. that has pictures of my story and my ducks and how awful they were. It was a 1950s house and it was horrendous. We did, did do swab samples to, and we had aspergillus in there. And I just didn't really understand that you could, it's metal, ductwork is metal. Why would I have mold growing in there? So that was a, a really enlightening moment for me to start researching. And then of course, um, like everyone else, I hired the wrong person um, to clean it. And that story uh, kind of, real. I realized it when they, were, when they were screwing up actually, and when they were kind of scamming me and I kicked them out, but then they made a big mess and I, and I had to, basically learn how to duck clean so that I could find someone to do it. And I would at least know they were doing the right thing. 
So um, fast forward now about 18 years when I'm doing, when we're talking and there's been a lot of ups and downs that that child did recover uh, 100% and has never had asthma since then. It did take about a year, uh, but, but about six years or eight years after that, my husband and I both got sick and my husband got very sick. He was actually on short-term disability and we had Lyme. So then I was researching Lyme disease. I was a little better off than he was. And in researching Lyme on social media, I stumbled off across all these people who had mold challenges in their buildings. And they were connecting Lyme and mold, which I didn't know was a thing. Um, but I started helping people with their mold questions because I knew the answers <laughs> to things that they were saying. And in some cases, there were times when, it, when I would say, who told you that? That's not true. Um, a lot of myths, myth busting. And people started tagging me and I'd help them for free. And then that got out of hand. And I eventually uh, created a Facebook group, which now has over 5,000 people in it, avoiding water damage, mold and toxins to help people for free. Now I do it through a subscription community, although I still have the Facebook group, but it's, uh, it's way too big for me to manage easily, but initially it was. But then also on my journey, I ended up working for the wood industry and, and as an architect doing technical support for my peers, uh, code officials, architects, and structural engineers, and promoting wood use in commercial buildings, but it's the same in any kind of building. And because of my, my research on the mold stuff, I jumped right into being the specialist on moisture, and um, but I also did sustainability and fire in that role, and and that's where I started doing presentations and educating my peers, who are very smart, <laughs> I will say. And uh, and so I would um, I learn things from them. I'd present things and realize that I had more more things more to re research if there was a question I couldn't answer. And but it ended up I learned a lot about wood. And wood is a major material that we use in buildings. And it was fascinating to me. But if you're going to talk about wood to people to, that are using other materials, you also have to understand the other materials, the competing materials, which would be concrete, uh, steel, and masonry, and understand how they are affected by moisture as well. And it was very, um, very enlightening to me. I'm actually really, it's really fascinating to me. And, um, and so that's really how I ended up doing this starting to help people and then they keep coming and realizing that well maybe maybe I'm supposed to do this I, I am a designer by passion but I'm also somebody that wants I, I really don't know where I'm supposed to go all the time and I and this was a pivot to say I think I'm supposed to help people that that something happened in my life and to my family that we have done really well in terms of recovering from because of what I know and I should maybe share that I should share what I know with other people so that they could do the same. And I'm, I feel blessed. And so I, I just try to pay it forward. And, and so created my website and I hired a little team because it, it keeps growing. I have a tiger by the tail, honestly, but I have a lot of real clients and people who have watched my courses that keep kind of keep me motivated to keep doing it. And I have a YouTube channel and Instagram channel. I do a lot of free videos there just trying to create awareness so that people can realize what's going on and, and recognize that maybe some of their chronic health issues have something to do, um, some impact upon them from their environment 
they're living in. You know, that's a really, it's actually, uh, it's a common theme. We we license our technology throughout the world um, and our equipment. It's a common theme of many of our licensees. They found us because they went on their own journey from mold illness. And it, it seems like those licensees that had that same background that you have where you've lived it um, are much more passionate about their craft. Absolutely. Than, than uh, just someone that wants it for a business. So, yeah, that's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so because of my architecture background, I'm always, maybe because of it, maybe just who I am, I'm, I'm focused on the root cause. So even in terms of our health, recovering our health, I had a very serious autoimmune disease myself that I did conventional medicine. And then all of a sudden realized I had asked a question. So like, what happens if I keep taking all these drugs? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there was nothing. They just wanted me to keep taking those. And I looked, I could read the insert and say, this is going to trash my liver. So there's got to be a root cause. And I do the same thing. So I, I, I feel like I act as a doctor for the buildings where I'm really looking for the root cause. I don't want a Band-Aid solution. I don't want to just cover up the symptoms. I want to figure out why this is happening. And then I want to figure out, okay, how can we fix that? And how can we make that not happen? How can we build better buildings from the beginning and how could we fix the buildings that we have to be as safe as possible for people. So um, I'm into the root cause, you find the water, bad stuff goes with trapped water, it doesn't matter what the stuff is, whether it's mold or bacteria or, you know, right. the yeah. dozens, I mean, there's actually hundreds and thousands of species, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, we haven't even identified all the things that could be nasty in, in water trapped in dark, nasty places and so i just focus on if i can find the water then i can find where there's bad things going on in a building decay would be the ultimate um which is also not good <laughs> so um yeah well i think a lot of people are are pretty good at you know identifying water and mold if it's oh my basement was flooded here in utah and, and i think wyoming as well they have basements you know my basement flooded mm -hmm. or you know, my toilet overflowed and it started pouring, you know, through the ceiling into the living room or, you know, my dishwasher broke and it started leaking into the kitchen. You know, some of these, some of these more obvious ones, or the humidity, you know, it's so high in here. I can feel it. You know, it feels like I'm wet all the time in my house or, you know, these, these obvious ones, you know, I don't know what percentage those encompass, but, you know, we encounter those all the time where, oh yeah, I know what happened. This happened. Mm -hmm. And one thing that, you know, as we talked, one thing that kind of drew me to your experience is, and, and I think this comes from your personal experience where you didn't see any mold, there wasn't any obvious sign of mold. And so I think, especially for the mold professionals that listen to the podcast and, and just the end consumer, I mean, everyone lives in homes and the likelihood of every person who listens to the, every person in this, in, in the U.S. of encountering or in the world encountering a mold scenario in their home is very high. I mean, I would say 99.99% of us are going to have live in a home that somewhere along the line, you're going to run into this problem. You're going to run yeah. into it. Yeah. Um, and so those, those overlooked locations, you know, or the, the ones that aren't obvious to the naked eye, I think are, are where we all need to sharpen our skills and, and, and know what to do. And so, you know, I, we talked about maybe maybe briefly talk about 
um, Cheryl, if you would, kind of what, what a basic inspection looks like. And then, you know, ducktail that into, okay, where are we not typically looking when we do a, a, a standard mold inspection to find some water intrusion or even mold? Right, right. Well, so my background, because I'm coming at it from a space of I can build the buildings, I know how they're built, I have kind of x-ray eyes. So I can look at a building and pretty much have a good sense, not always perfect, but a good sense of how it's framed, where things are, where areas of the building are that are hard to keep dry, where special details are needed to keep those areas dry and where maybe that I don't see those details that I should be seeing. So for me, the, a typical inspection starts with, um, I do look at the client history. Um, I wanna know what's been going on. I wanna know the history of their, of their home, like you said. Um, but I want to know, just like a doctor would know, what happened five years ago? What happened 10 years ago? Oh, you had a toilet overflow five years ago and it got remediated and it's all fine, but you were fine and now you're not. That's a clue. So looking at the story very closely and just recognizing those flags of when was there ever a water event, even if it was remediated and it, it was um done supposedly correctly and the client may be very happy with it because I do find a lot of residual that um, ends up as a repercussion of uh, the devil's always in, a de in the details. Yeah, yeah. So we can do everything right. And if something doesn't happen right and same thing in building, it can be all designed correctly. And then if somebody turns and picks up his cell phone and goes to lunch, comes back and he doesn't complete whatever it was that he was doing that was important um, correctly, then that can be a flaw, a fatal flaw. So, but in terms of a typical inspection for me, I'm working virtually these days. I originally did a lot of on-site inspections. I do have reactions in these buildings. So I became a point of, if I had a conversation with someone that was, uh, had health issues of any kind, and it would often be me saying, do any of your kids have trouble at school? <laughs> you know, anybody have a rash? Yeah. Um, and if they said yes, then it doesn't matter how huge and expensive the house is. I'm going to wear a mask in their house yeah. because I would be sick for days if I, if I didn't in some of these cases. So I did start out doing it in person. And then as time went along, I had more people that were trying to get my help and I couldn't travel to them. So I started just saying, well, let me look at some pictures, you know, send me some pictures, upload some pictures and I'll take a look and see if I see anything. And I realized that pictures actually freeze a moment in time that can be super helpful, allows you to zoom in on things. Mm -hmm. So in part of my inspections, and I would recommend this for anybody in the field, even doing inspections, take a lot of pictures, even though you're standing there so that you can upload them to a file and look at them on a computer screen and revisit what you're looking at. And because there's things I'm looking for anomalies. I start outside. I always start outside, even if it's a, even if it's in the in, something in the inside where mold is growing, because oftentimes the water is starting outside. Right. Now bathrooms would not be that situation, but other situations, um, other water is often starting outside. So I do, I look at all the size. I'm looking at the roof to the ground. I want to see the site and the context, and I'm looking for building defects that lead to water damage. Is what I'm looking for. And so that's what I teach through my online. Uh, courses and the, and the webinars and the things that I do um, related to inspections, then teaching people how to train their eyes to see the stuff that I see. 
And um, I start with drainage, roof drainage, site drainage, understanding the foundation type and the materials used um, is something that anybody can learn. And, um, and that's something that, um, that definitely matters. There's no foundation type that's immune, whether we have a crawl space or a basement or slab, they all have, they all can have mold. And, um, and then the roof, there's often, if you look at the roof, sometimes you'll see, wait, where does that water go? It's dying into a wall. Yeah. You know, or snow's going to get caught there. Yeah, I don't mean to interrupt you at all, but it just, it did bring up a thought and I didn't want to lose my train of thought before I ask you, but is it, when you talk about, for example, a roof problem, is it always a, a function of they build it wrong or can it be an original design issue that was just completely incorrect? In other words, um, well, I think you know what I mean. It's, we talk about roof lines that sometimes flow into another cove or, or into the sidewall yeah. of a, um, and I see that all the time. I feel like I can almost drive down the street and tell you which homes have a mold issue by the way the, the water is going to flow off that roof. Do you, do you know what I mean? And is it yeah, sometimes right. actually a design issue more than even a, a materials issue? It's, it's all of those things. So yes, there is defective design. There, there is design that's designed to fail. Um, rarely, it's not, it's not, usually it's in homes, it's not that an architect was involved. It was that it was builders and we get, and anything complicated starts to bring up details that don't work the way we thought they were going to work. Some of those things, most of those things can be accommodated in, if you know that you're, that this situation is difficult, we can accommodate it with details to, to waterproof it. But we have to start with knowing that that's a problem, right. that a wall is, um, and that a roof is dying into a wall. And that is one of the locations where, where walls and roofs meet. Wherever we have a change in plane um, would be a, a place to really pay attention to. But then we also want to see when the water comes off the roof, where does it go? Yeah. Um, then we also have plumbing issues and, and HVAC, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning issues that can, so there's, there's, I think there's the structure itself and then there's, there's the systems and we can have mold in any of those places. Yeah. So, so those, are, those, you would say those are kind of the, uh, the core of, of a mold inspection, looking at each of yeah. those systems. Yeah. Design defects is what I would call I, some of these things. I call them design defects. Um, they look great. You know, a lot of lots of gables but then you look and the gables are like there's a couple of them like this that are meeting right you know like yeah. this yeah. That's exactly <laughs> and how's the water getting about. out yeah. of there and what about snow and what about um ice damming in places that have snow and right and, and you're relying on one location for all the water to be managed and what if that's clogged yeah. so that's why i always say then you can follow it down to the downspouts and if there is downspouts if there's no downspouts that's another thing to look out for the ground is getting wet right near the building but if there's downspouts and following it all the way to the end that oh yeah the downspouts go in the ground well don't stop there then where does it right where does it go it has to go somewhere yeah. and lots of times times those will get blocked the the and the exit route even especially if it's just coming out in the ground when they're in sewers we can have um, the actual the elbow where they turn to go to the sewer is rarely below the frost line. 
and that can freeze and just like frozen ice can move mountains. I guarantee you frozen water is trapped in that pipe in the winter will expand and break the pipe. So even though it all looks good on the surface, we can actually have water leaking against a foundation uh, where there's a downspout that goes into the ground that looks perfectly fine on the outside. But you there are some signs to look for for that too. I've said this for years and you may agree or disagree, but I, I've said for years, a bad rain gutter is worse than no rain gutter at all. In other words, if you're taking half or a third of that roof and dumping it straight down into the foundation, you would have been better off at least spreading it out through the entire yeah. roof line than dumping it all in one spot. Yeah, and that's actually, people will be like, they'll be worried about the cracks in their foundation. Well, differential wetting causes movement in the foundation. It's, it causes that struc a structural defect. So if you have a lot of water in one spot, and sometimes that's where two valleys come together and it, it, it all looks like it would work fine, except in a deluge of rain, it becomes a raging rapid that actually overflows the gutter because there's so much water from large roof areas connecting there. And then you usually look down there and you'll find a divot in the ground, you'll find a low spot in that part of the building. And, and those are the signs as a detective. So we're also acting, I, I can, I'm the building doctor, but also a detective. So it's, it's collecting clues that will point us to, is it a duck or isn't it a duck? And where, you know, where does this duck live? Um, and, and so it's a lot of collecting clues and, and then trying to assemble them and say, does this matter? Does that matter? I don't know yet, let's see. And when they start accumulating in certain areas and you start saying, uh, I don't see anything. Like, so basements, you mentioned basements. One of the places that's often really hard to find now is that they're putting is basements especially in utah because i did look at homes there recently when when i was moving it and new construction they're putting plastic up over the walls and the framing oh, yeah. so it you can insane. yeah you plastic it's not it's a terrible idea it's horrible and yeah. and it and people say oh code requires it code requires you to have a vapor retarder use craft paper you need something that's going to transmit the water so you know you have it because what will end up people say, well, that'll trap the mold. Well, actually, it'll it'll it definitely turn the insulation into a diaper. Yeah. And it will <laughs> yeah. trap the moisture and the mold, but it's not airtight. Yeah. No, yeah. So the other part of um, I I would say if I was looking at the top things that get overlooked, it would be the drainage and it would be um, how air currents can matter in a, in the building. Oh, yeah, and that just that. because something is behind a surface does not mean those mycotoxins or mold spores aren't getting out sure. because it's very rare that we, in construction, we could ever hermetically seal anything. No. Yeah. And, you know, we're not building laboratories and surgical suite suites. So those are hard enough. So just because something's behind a layer of plastic or a layer of drywall, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be affecting our health if there's mold back there. And you can imagine plastic. Anybody who's gone jogging in a plastic raincoat would know that yeah. it gets kind of, you know, it just gets slimy and stuff will grow. Yeah. And you won't know that you have a problem until it gets very, very, very huge and probably is affecting health. Thanks for listening to the Mold Matters podcast. Be sure to subscribe for more in-depth information on mold illness and recovery.